Welcome to Uncovered. It's uh, Wednesday. I'm Anthony Davis. He is Ron Filipkowski, editor-in-chief of MidasTouch.com, where you get all the best news. And boy, do we have some news for you today. Uh, Ron, I know you've been uh, rushed off your feet, so much so that you, your computer has practically stopped working. <laughs> so, <laughs> I told the guys yesterday, I said, tomorrow's going to be a really crazy day. And yeah. it has been. I I've had like three different computers going at one time all, all day. <laughs> well, that's great. I've been down with the flu for a week, so I, I this is my first outing, and it's very nice to be back. Um, okay, let's. So we obviously we need to talk about Donald Trump and this immunity hearing because obviously, for those who know, uh, it, it's it's been like a soap opera. You know, he claims he has presidential immunity because of, you know, in terms of him committing an insurrection against his own country. Um, the lawyers say otherwise. The Supreme Court are now deciding. Uh, just I, I, We have a clip that's, that's uh, like a couple of minutes long of his lawyer, uh, D. John Sawyer, kind of putting the case forward. Just explain before we show this clip and kind of analyze Trump's position where you think this is at right now. I, you know, when I listen to any of his lawyers argue anything, and I listen to this hearing live, um, I, it, I always wonder, are they making the positions that they know are the best positions to argue? Because a smart client is going to tell their lawyer, you do what's best. You know the law better than I do. You know, you you know what the best position to take is that gives us the best chance to win. However, Donald Trump is not most clients, and, <laughs> and least, it yeah. always strikes me because the positions that his lawyers take are sometimes so crazy, and some of them, including Mr. Sauer here, is a very smart guy and a good lawyer, so it makes me think when they take these crazy positions, who's really driving the train? You know, is Donald Trump, did, in other words, did they go to Donald Trump and go, here's what we're going to argue, and Trump said, no, 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 you know, I want you to argue this instead. And, and it forces them to take these nonsensical extremist positions. The smart play here in this hearing, seeking immunity, would be for him to argue for a balancing test with a very broad definition of official duties. In other words, if, if Trump was, when he was trying to get the over, election overturned and he's calling Meadows and he's calling the Georgia people and he's calling these people and that people, if he could get a definition by the court of official duties to cover all of that, make it so broad that it could cover most of that, that's the smart play. Instead, what his lawyer argues is for a wide open, unrestrained, unrestricted immunity, basically saying that anything a president does, he's immune from. Um, unless the only way he could be prosecuted is if he is first impeached and convicted in the Senate. There's two problems with that. Number one is impeachment conviction in the Senate requires two thirds vote. So a president could commit any crime. And as long as he can just get 35 senators of his own party to go along with it, you can't prosecute him, according to Trump's lawyers. The other problem is a president can simply resign after committing the crime to, to avoid impeachment. And then the argument would be he couldn't be prosecuted. Both of those were pointed out by the judges on the court. And then what the judge did is put Sauer, the lawyer, in a torture chamber by coming up with all these different crazy hypotheticals and making him essentially take the position that, yep, a president can do that and he's immune. 
Just explain this analogy of SEAL Team 6 that was kind of brought into the equation. Yeah. Who brought that in and, and has it worked out for them? Judge Pan did. And, and she brought up three hypotheticals. She said, okay, suppose the president, because you're saying anything he does official, like anytime he tells a gov- another member of the government to do something, that's part of his official duties. So how about if he told SEAL Team 6 to assassinate his political opponent? Wouldn't that be an official duty under your definition? And therefore he gets immunity. And then she brought up two other examples. What if he sold pardons? What if he's, and then she brought up this, this example, which was interesting. What if he sold classified documents to a foreign country, you know, (laughs) and, and basically making sour, take the position that if we do what you want to do, a president can basically do anything he wants. Joe Biden could do anything he wants right now. And there's nothing we can do to stop him other than impeachment, you know? And so, uh, you know, I thought sour's position either was a position that Trump was making, forcing him to take, or he just went down a really bad road here with this court and um, he overstepped, he overstepped the bounds. And so when you do that, you're going to end up most likely getting an opinion or a decision that mostly aligns with what the other side wants, which is taking a much more reasonable position. Let's listen to a kind of key moment from this interaction and you'll hear the voice of Trump's lawyer. You're saying a president could sell pardons, could sell military secrets, could order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a a political rival. Sale of military secrets strikes me as something that might not be held to be an official act. The sale of pardons is something that's come up historically and was not prosecuted. Your brief says that communicating with an executive branch agency is an official act. And communicating with a foreign government is an official act. That's what presidents do. They're very strange. Situated, there's very strong examples of potential officials. If you look at what Chief Justice said in his medicine, he said, rising directly under Article 2, Section 1, that the, uh, uh, the courts, that the president's official acts are, quote, never examinable by the courts. And he says it like four different times on pages 164 to 166. Well, let me ask you about that then, counsel, because your position is, as I understand it, if a president is impeached or convicted, impeached and convicted, by Congress, then he is subject to criminal prosecution, correct? Yeah, be it necessary, you said, to execution. Is that a yes? Yes. yes? Okay, so therefore he's not completely and absolutely immune because under the procedure that you concede, he can be prosecuted if there's an impeachment and conviction by the Senate. Very, very formidable structural check that gets the astonishing radical action of prosecuting a former president. Official right, but you're conceding that presidents can be criminally prosecuted under certain circumstances. Specifically, if they're impeached and convicted, I think that's the main range of the impeachment judgment clause. And isn't that also a concession that a president can be criminally prosecuted for an official act? Because presidents can be impeached for official acts. Those unique circumstances. Correct. But given that you're conceding that presidents can be criminally prosecuted under certain circumstances, doesn't that narrow the issues before us to can a president be impeached? Um, I'm sorry, can a president be prosecuted without first being impeached um, and convicted? It, 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 all of your other arguments seem to fall away. Your separation of powers arguments fall away. 
your policy arguments fall away if you concede that a president can be criminally prosecuted under some circumstances. Supreme that the Constitution in the Article 2, Section 1 vesting clause, as interpreted very clearly by Chief Justice Marshall and Norbury against Madison, says Article and and so it goes on. The, the referencing of the founders I find very interesting. He mentioned James Madison just then as well. It, it, it's like I know that this case has no precedent, but to make references to like 200 years ago, I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what he was doing. He, he, he argued repeatedly Alexander Han- Hamilton's Federalist paper that he wrote about the powers of the president, which... You know the Federalist Papers are interesting, but they're not—they're not law. They're not part of the Constitution. They're just, you know, articles that were being written by some of the members of the Constitutional Convention. So they're nice, they're interesting history, but they're not law. So that's what he has to resort to. But you're right to the—you know—one of the things about—and by the way, Sauer doesn't normally sound like that, like us. He yeah, was I was going to ask. Yeah, he sounds now, like he's he been. Yeah, he has a squeaky voice, but it's not all raspy like that. <laughs> he so obviously Trump has got him in there sick. Probably had COVID in there arguing. I thought he'd got uh, RFK to be his uh, lawyer. Sounded like RFK, right. You're right? Yeah, but one of the things that Donald Trump is, is done, and I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, is he's gonna he's he's gonna make so much law in this country by the time all is said and done because. He tested the bounds of every legal norm, every constitutional norm, every norm that we know in our government. He pushed every boundary, crossed every line. And so they're just we've never had a president who has done all of those things before. And so these courts are having to wrestle with all these unique novel issues like gag orders and all of this with presidents um, because no, no president has ever tried to do anything like Donald Trump has tried to do. So, so we are going to have a lot of new law for for the next guy who tries to do this stuff. But what's different also, and what they don't seem to be mentioning in the arguments, is that we all watched him incite an insurrection on television. And so, what frustrates me is that what we are seeing in reality, and what we know to be true in reality. In a court of law, there is a different reality because, you know, case law, although there isn't much of it, as you say, but just legal arguments. Legal arguments are not normal political discourse. And it seems that in in the public realm, we can agree that an, an insurrection was incited because it was broadcast live on CNN. But at the same time, and the president watched it probably on Fox, but we have to kind of go through this exhaustive process of legal arguments about something that is actually quite different to what happened in reality. Yeah. And, and the point is to delay. And so that's what these things do. I mean, I think that Trump most likely knows that he's going to lose this appeal. Um, He's going to lose, he knew he was going to lose his gag order appeals, but what they accomplish is delay because even after this case is decided, which may happen in three or four weeks, and that's fast, he's going to appeal this to the Supreme Court. They may or may not take the case, but Judge Chutkan cannot move forward until this is decided. So, you know, that's really the primary purpose of this whole exercise is to delay this until after the election. It seems like so far, because these appellate courts are working so quickly, we're still on pace to to hopefully get a trial in June, 
the March trial dates not going to happen. But but that really is the main the main purpose of all of these appeals. But but by the way, all of these appeals are costing Trump an absolute fortune. Yeah. I should say yeah. his campaign money, you know, that he's using for it. Which is probably illegal anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing, isn't it? It's it's you know th- th- there'll be a campaign p- campaign finance case following all of this stuff at the rate this guy's going. I mean, he is unraveling now because you know the the Truth Social posts are getting out of control. He wanted to make a closing argument in the Ngoran case, which today we've now heard he's not going to be allowed to do. Not because Judge Ngoran didn't allow it, but because Trump was too late in agreeing to the terms of the court. Did he refuse to abide by the terms of the court for that closing argument, or did he actually just miss the deadline? Yeah, I I wrote an article about uh, a few weeks ago in uh, on the MidasTouch.com website about how Trump always does this. Yeah. You can go all the way back to like the 1980s and 1990s that in all of his court cases, he claims he's going to speak, he's going to testify, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. And then he never does. Yeah. Um, it, it's This is a pattern that's well established, very lengthy. So what he did was he said, okay, I want to get up and give part of the closing argument. Now, it is very unusual for a defendant to play lawyer in court or do play co-counsel with his lawyer. It is possible. I had one time I did a trial with one of my clients who insisted on being my co-counsel, and I was constantly having to clean up for what he was doing. But it is allowed in very limited circumstances, and there's rules that have to apply because the bottom line is these people, you, you lay people don't know all the rules of evidence. They don't know what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. So what the judge did in this case is just simply make Trump play by the rules and said, OK, you, I'm going to let you do this. But here are the here are the ground rules. You can't get up and give political speeches. You can't trash my clerk. You know, you got to stick to the issues in the case. And Trump just refused to agree to that. So finally, the judge today just said, well, you know. It's happening tomorrow. Too, you're too late. I'm not going to play this game with you. I, I do feel like, you know, that again, this is more ignoring the, the elephant in the room. And if you saw the weekend show just gone where Dr. Bandy Lee came on and talked again about Trump's mental health, talked about the fact that he is completely unfit to have been president or be president or even to, you know, even to work in Walmart. And yet nobody at any level, either in the media or in court or anywhere, is talking about his mental unfitness, his personality disorder, his malignant narcissism. She said, and I encourage everybody to watch the interview because it was an incredible analysis of where his mind is at right now. She said that, you know, whilst his mental pathology hasn't changed, as the pressure builds on this guy, he will get worse. And you posted a clip, which I'll show, of Trump saying a couple of days ago that he wanted the economy to crash here in the U.S. between now and the election. Here it is. When there's a crash, I hope it's going to be during this next 12 months because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. The one president, I just don't want to be Herbert Hoover. I mean, this is not a well man. Yeah, I I know. I mean, he's definitely way more unhinged than he was in 2020. It's gotten much worse. It's gotten much worse with all the court cases and the arrests. Yeah. You know, some of his supporters will sometimes try and buck him up by saying, 
oh, these are help. These arrests are helping you in the polls. I mean, it may be with some segments, but the bottom line is what they're doing is they're wearing on his psyche. And he, he's obviously not sleeping. You can tell from the hours he posts things online that he's not sleeping. Um, and he's just manic all the time. I mean, he he used to, I would say two years ago, Anthony, he used to post eight to 10 things a day, maybe 12 on True Social. Now it's 40 to 50 things every single day. And they're all just these manic rants and rages. They're not, you know, normal posts. So he didn't do this back in 16. I mean, he had a, here and there something nutty, but not like what's happening right now. If you if you followed him on True Social, it's just it's just mania around the clock, right. nonstop. I can't post, you know, 99% of it because people would get sick of it and go crazy so i only just pick one or two things a day here but if you if you're if you're following it it's insane but the insania is not part of the court case it's not part of the impeachments it's not part of the indictments and yet it is the elephant in the room the guy is not the full ticket and and you know, even Amendment 14, right, this this 14th Amendment that people keep talking about, that is about the insurrection. It's not about his mental fitness. So yeah. why why is this mental fitness clause, which does exist, why is, is it 14.3? Why is that not included here? Well, I think we're talking now about 25th Amendment, which is like your medical or psychological right. fitness for office. But the problem with that is you can't do anything with that as a candidate to disqualify a candidate. There's no provision for that. I mean, you, you, it, you, what you would have to have is somebody to actually get elected and then have that amendment kick in. <laughs> but we had but, to, he was already elected require, in 2016 you know, and we did nothing about it then. Yeah, that's not the solution. I mean, that's just not going to that's not going to trying to disqualify Trump for mental health is just a waste of a waste of time but it, but it's also a get out of jail card isn't it because you know this is something this is why it's such a difficult issue to debate and a difficult issue for the courts is because mental health it you know they are treating it as an unknown quantity as a matter of opinion and the point that Dr Lee made is that it is not she is in court all the time she is dealing with these types of cases she she's seen a thousand people like Donald Trump it is a there is a clinical issue here that has been completely ignored by the judiciary and by lawmakers. And it's as if, you know, the guy is being treated as a normal candidate who's just a little bit off the rails. And he's not off the rails. He has a personality disorder. But there's nothing there's nothing that can be done here by anybody. I mean, the only thing that the court can do is order a competency exam. But but that would have to mean that, you know, the threshold for that is that he doesn't know what a judge is. He doesn't know what a prosecutor is. He doesn't know what the charges are. He's that far gone. The bar on that is extremely high. So, you know, it's a nice thing to talk about on a podcast or in the news, but it's not going to get us anywhere. But, but, but the reason that no I'm mental health solution here, I, I totally get that. But you can see my point here is that I'm trying to expose the fact that there is no provision for people oh, with yeah. personality disorder. There isn't. Right. And, and, and so you can't compel a president or a presidential candidate to undergo a mental health evaluation. That is correct. Yeah. And in the meantime, lawyers are getting rich and the public purse is having to pay out 
And, you know, the, the country is being nickeled and dimed because of Donald Trump wasting everybody's time when the guy shouldn't even be on the ticket. And, and all because there is no provision. And that's why when I talk about, you know, referencing the founders, the founders didn't know much about personality disorders and malignant yeah. narcissism. So, you know, if, if that's the benchmark, what, what hope do we stand? I mean, you rely on the voters. That's it. You know, yeah. you rely on the voters to recognize the mania. And I think that they do. I, I think by and large, I mean, it, it, the polls do show that there is even a significant chunk of Republicans, you know, 20 to 30 percent who think he's unfit. The problem is, is that though when you ask them, OK, will you, you know, not vote Republican or will you vote for Joe Biden? Most of them say no. Yeah, because, you know, they're still they're They either have policy reasons or or they're just party loyalty or whatever the case, or the di- intense dislike for Biden, you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, there is a chunk of the Republican Party who recognizes the problem, but are not prepared to do anything about it other than complain. I think the majority recognize the problem, but, you know, they, they all that matters is winning, right? And, you know, because yeah. he's popular, then that's the horse they want to back. I want to play the clip that uh, you posted about Trump on the Civil War. Obviously, the Civil War has been in front of mind because Nikki Haley couldn't really define it in in an interview or in a a, um, town hall the other day. And then she tried to walk it back. We talked about that last week. Donald Trump has now come along. (laughs) He claims that Lincoln screwed up, that he probably could have negotiated the Civil War. Again, just the, the mindset of a man who is in court, as well as doing rallies, this is what it, what it does to him. I love studying the, uh, if you take a look, I mean, the wars, I don't know what it is. The Civil War was so fascinating, so horrible. It was so horrible, but so fascinating. It was, uh, I don't know, it was just different. I just find it, I'm so attracted to seeing it. So many mistakes were made. See, there was something I think could have been negotiated, to be honest with you. I think you could have negotiated that. All the people died. So many people died. You know, that was the disaster. If you got hit by a bullet in the leg, you were essentially going to die or lose the leg. That's why you had so many people, no legs, no arms. If you got hit in the arm or the leg, it meant you were up because the infection, gangrene. It was just such a you know, sort of a horrible time. But that's, I was thinking to myself because I was uh, reading something and I said, this is something that could have been negotiated, you know? It was just for all those people to die and they died viciously. That was a vicious, vicious war. And uh, in many ways, look, they're all, this nothing nice about it, but boy, that was a, that was a tough one for our country. But I think it's, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln. Of course, if he negotiated it, you probably wouldn't even know who Abraham Lincoln was. Uh, he would have been president, but he would have been president. He would have been, he wouldn't have been the Abraham Lincoln. Would have been different, but that would have been okay. It's, uh, it would have been a, a thing that, and I, I know it very well. I know the whole process that they went through, and they just couldn't get along. And that would have been something that could have been negotiated, and they wouldn't have had that problem. But it was a tell, it was a hell of a time. I I, I reposted that clip on Twitter this morning and I wrote the dumbest most incoherent illiterate and ignorant man in America who got 74 million votes in 2020 almost 47 percent of the popular vote Mm -hmm. I mean all this work that is going on to you know look into the legal aspects 
and he knows less about the Civil War than Nikki Haley, but also wishes that if he was there, he would have done a better job. Yeah, there's four things that I take away from that clip. Okay, number one is um, when he says he was reading something about the Civil War, first of all, he's never read anything about the Civil War. He he knows (laughs) nothing about the Civil War. I could give him a basic 10-question quiz, you know, like, who was the commanding general, you know, of the Union Army at Gettysburg? You know, he he couldn't or even the Confederate. He couldn't answer any any of the 10 questions I give him. OK, um, so so that's number one. When, when he says he was reading something, what he was reading was this. When Nikki Haley had her gaffe of, on the causes, what he was reading was a, a probably a one page briefing paper that his staff came up with. Susie Wiles or somebody else to prepare him for when he got the Civil War question. So when he's talking about, I was just reading something about the Civil War, that's what he's talking about. He was reading like a one-page bullet point thing. Or even reading replies to it posted on social media by people criticizing Nikki Haley. It could be that too. Yeah. But yeah, but, but, but he definitely got talking points from his campaign people to be prepared to answer the Civil War question. So so that's the first part. The second part is negotiating. There was no negotiations. Okay. The second Lincoln was elected, the South seceded from the Union before he was even inaugurated. Okay. So Southern states were seceding. Um, there was no nothing to negotiate. There was no way to negotiate. But this also dovetails into Trump's claim that, you know, none of the wars that ever happened now or pr- present would have happened if he was president. He would have stopped all wars. This is a, one of his big selling points, one of his big pitches, okay? In other words, Ukraine wouldn't have happened. He said this a thousand times. Uh, Afghanistan wouldn't have happened. Iraq wouldn't have happened. Israel wouldn't have happened. None of this would have happened if he was president. And now he's taken that a step further and said, even the Civil War would not have happened. That's number two. Number three, the Lincoln, what he said about Lincoln. Lincoln... Reagan used to bother him a lot because Trump can only tolerate his followers saying that he is the best president of all time. Right. Right. And so for a long time, he used to take little digs at Reagan because they used to say he's the best president since Reagan. So then he used to take digs at Reagan. Now his supporters say he's the best best president in our lifetime. And it's that in our lifetime that bothers him because he doesn't like that. He wants to be known as the greatest president of all time. So who's the only one left that his supporters think might be better than him? Lincoln. So now he's taking shots at Lincoln. Okay. And the fourth thing is, this also shows why the press continues to fail us. Because Nikki Haley had her little gaffe, and they spent a week on it, doing nothing but talking about it, stories on it, asking her about it. Trump says something even more ridiculous than Haley that the civil war could have been negotiated and the press doesn't even barely cover it. We cover it on social media, but that hardly got any run whatsoever in the media. Yeah. So, so the, those the are the failure of the press that. is a theme, isn't it? Because yep. there is, you know, uh, obviously I come from the mental health side where I, I'm just, you know, that's the position I'm taking is that that's the area that we need to be looking at for future presidents. But you're looking at it also from a, from a, a legal side and a partisan side where we're, we're, we're in a situation. It's like none of this should be happening. The, the, all of this 
is is a huge stain on American political history because one man, a, a, a nut job, has been allowed to push conspiracy theories, even that he is the Messiah. And and we have a clip of of a, a couple claiming that you know that his indictments are, are that you know they have empathy for his indictments because there is a. A, a, a religious connotation. To Being it. indicted for you. Um, my first thought went to, well, Jesus Christ died for my sins. Jesus died for me. And so I, it connects in my brain that way. Like, okay, he's doing this for us as a country to make the changes we need to make. And he's the target where we don't have to be. I mean, it connects in her brain. And this connects up with what I've been saying, which, and I wrote an article about this last week, which yeah. is his approach to the evangelical base out there is very, very different than it was in the past, where in the past it was sort of a marriage of convenience, where he was going to get their Supreme Court justices and they would hold their nose and vote for him. Now the messaging is completely different, and we see it at every rally where he brings up a local pastor and the local pastor tells him, they're evil people, evil forces, dark forces have taken over, satanic forces have taken over the government, that the new Messiah has been chosen, and that is Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is the only one who can save us, et cetera, et cetera. And so Trump, it, this is a very calculated thing. This is not random because it happens at every rally, and I've documented it. And then Trump gets up and says, and gives biblical themes equating it to himself, which is, you know, Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus died for our sins. And he gets up at his rallies and he says, I'm being indicted for you. I'm protecting you. I'm suffering and enduring this cross, yeah. this pain to save you, to protect you. And there you hear right there from somebody in his audience playing that right back saying, when he says that, it makes me think of Jesus. Yeah. So it's working. You know yeah. what he's doing. The question is, how many people is it working with? You know, is it just that 35 percent hardcore of his base or is that actually filtering out? But but I think for my from my standpoint, which is trying to convince the moderates and the people in the middle, showing things like that to moderate voters sickens them. Yeah. It disgusts them about Trump and his followers. And that's why I do it. And and and, and you do it very well and disrespecting history by trying to rewrite it is fine for people who don't know history. But for anybody who went to school, they will recognize that, that Trump has huge gaps in his knowledge and is trying to put himself into the kind of history timeline at places that he does not deserve. You know, and, it was interesting, you, that point that you just made, yeah. which is um, Politico or somebody else just did a long article about who the Nikki Haley supporters are. Uh -huh. And what was interesting was they're almost all college graduates. Okay. So Nikki Haley has carved out this whatever 25, 30% that she's carved out. Those are the educated Republicans that are left. Those are the ones with college degrees. You go to a Haley rally and the reporters say it's 90% college degrees. You go to a Trump rally and it might be 10% at best. And that shows you what you just said. I, I've been doing some reading on Nikki Haley myself in the last week since we spoke about her. And I've come to the conclusion that she is still Donald Trump 
just the Nikki Haley version of Donald Trump. She is still xenophobic. She is racist. She is misogynistic, weirdly. She doesn't believe in a kind of equal society, despite being female. Uh, I, I just get the feeling that, you know, it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, from policy perspective, you're yeah. right. I mean, she's not far off. Obviously, there are big differences in personality and how they treat people and all of that. But, right, but even but, so. Uh, you know, to, being unhinged and all of that. But yeah. yeah, Nikki Haley, you wonder, you know, is this what she really believes or is she just saying this because she sees that the Republican Party has gone down this road and she's she's trying to go down that road too. And she was UN ambassador, as we we discussed last week. And I, you know, I, I hate to think like what her, if those were her views back when she was UN ambassador in Trump's administration, then, you know, how how do you get involved in any international relations or diplomacy if you have such xenophobic and anti-immigrant views? You know, is that is that a new position she's taking because she's running for the presidency or has she always held those views? Well, he picked her for a reason. Now, you know, what he (laughs) says, (laughs) the reason why he picked her, which I don't believe, is that, you know, he wanted to she was governor of South Carolina and he wanted to get her out of South Carolina because he wanted Henry McMaster, who is much more pro-Trump and more conservative, to be the governor. <laughs> so what he claims is that I just got I just picked Nikki Haley for UN ambassador because I wanted to get her out of South Carolina so McMaster could be governor. Right. <laughs> Which again is insane, but you know that's I, his, I, that's I buy I buy story. that. I buy that yeah. because you know that's all part of installing Trump loyalists at, at every level. Um, and of course yep. he tried to push the conspiracy theory yesterday that she's not suitable for the role of president or vice president because she had parents who were what was it that they weren't citizens when they had her is that right yeah or they didn't come legally they only you know they were asylum seekers or something like that yeah i mean it kind of goes into their his his new policy which is his new policy is um if and this comes straight from stephen miller is you know what's in our constitution is if you're born on u.s soil natural born citizen even if your parents are not are, are migrants who crossed in, you know, they're asylum seekers, you are still a U.S. citizen. And that's yeah. what Republicans derisively refer to as anchor babies. Right. Because under the Republican mindset is that migrants cross the border to have a child in the, in the United States that then instantly becomes an American citizen, which anchors them because you can't abandon the baby, anchors them in the country and keeps them here. That's that's the argument. So, yes, basically what Trump is saying is that Nikki Haley is was an anchor baby. Um, and and one of the things that he is proposing to do as president is to do away with that, is to is to say that if you if you are just because you're born in the United States, you're not automatically a citizen. You have to be here with parents who are here legally. I mean, I have an anchor baby, Ron, as you may know. Um, <laughs> and, and I knew there was a reason. There is a reason you're... that I brought that up and why I'm here, <laughs> why I'm trying to make friends with you. But this is the crazy thing. And it's like, and I'm also married to an American. And yet my anchor baby, uh, uh, and yet I, I can't apply for citizenship until I've been in the country for six years, right? And people don't realize it's really difficult, even for legal immigrants. It is really difficult to to get citizenship. My my boy, who is an American citizen by birth, cannot sponsor me for citizenship until he is 21, 
right? So, and he's currently five, so that ain't <laughs> happening anytime soon. And right. even and even though I'm now married to an American, I still have to wait a full six years before I can apply for citizenship. Right. From so so, you know, it's it's hard. It's it, there are very strict immigration rules in place. And I think that, you know, people just assume that people can come here and take advantage and vote and do it. And it's, it's not like that. It's really, no, it's really strict and, and quite right, too. But, you know, the rules are there for a reason, I guess. Um, OK, listen, I don't want to talk about Trump the whole time, but we do have one more clip of him, uh, which is actually very serious because this is where he mocks John McCain. And yeah. and I think that you know I'll kind of let you explain what's going on here, but this it's kind of a it's a double edged sword this this moment, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you want me to talk about it before? Well, yeah. well, just give a little bit of context because yeah. you know well, he's look, talking is, about the a, a POW effectively without this is, he's saying done this before. Yeah. He's, you know he's mocked McCain's captivity. Yeah. You know I well, I like I like people that aren't captured i forgot the exact quote but yeah you know um and he's not a, not a war hero you know this and that you know he's made different comments over the years and you know i i, I got an argument with a couple of my trump supporting republican friends over the last 24 hours about this, which because he said this and you know they're veterans and so i go you know how how can you how can you reconcile how can you vote for this man you know who who is mocking someone who is permanently disabled because of torture and war injuries. And he's mocking them for the injuries. And what I said is you can go after, I know a lot of Republicans who don't like McCain. You can go after McCain for a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, he was very liberal on immigration. He was liberal on a lot of things. Yeah. You can go after him for those. Why is it that Trump has to go to the disability from combat yeah in while he's while trump was draft dodging while trump had a deferment mccain was in a vietnamese prisoner of war camp for years being tortured how is it that trump would go there to criticize him and it goes it it just goes to his disgusting mania psychopath and classlessness and and to me you know, at the time, I can remember in 16 very well, I was supporting Rubio. I was a Republican at the time, not supporting Trump, didn't like Trump. But, you know, kind of feeling Trump's probably going to be the nominee. Maybe I'll look at him again. Maybe I'll give him a chance. And I remember him making those comments about McCain. And I said, that's it. That was the deal breaker for me. And I can tell you a lot of other veterans who are Republicans, that was the deal breaker for them. So when he did this again, even worse than before, Again, it's something that I think the media and the Biden campaign should it should be all over the place. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't. Here it is. Obamacare is a catastrophe. Nobody talks about it. You know, without John McCain, we would have had it done. But John McCain, for some reason, couldn't get his arm up that day. Remember, he goes that like that. That was the end of that. For some reason, couldn't get his arm up and then like does the does the action. I mean, Look, I hate to go back to it, and I know that you, you and I see slightly see this slightly differently. But a, a mental health professional who deals in in violent people like Donald Trump with their violent mental pathology will tell you exactly why he keeps ribbing John McCain, and yep. and and this is the thing. You know, it's easy for us to hypothesize, but there are yep. experts who deal in this stuff yep. who are brought into courtrooms to explain 
the pathology of a, of a man in the, in this in this way. And and again, you're right. I mean, it's just ignored by the media. That that got very little coverage, and you know it, it's important because veteran military veterans are an important part of Trump's base, an important yeah. part of his constituency, and and there are many Trump voters who like John McCain still do, and so this is a wedge issue. This is an issue to pry some of them away from from Trump, and you know it just wasn't done. It wasn't followed up on by anybody. Uh, I, I really hope that that is in, I mean, there's a million things I hope that are in campaign ads at some point. That's, that's one of them. Um, his NFT card commercial that he did. I think he looks like an absolute clown yeah. and a grifter in that. Yeah. I hope that makes its way into a campaign ad for Biden. But, but again, you know, I don't, I don't run his campaigns, obviously. Listen, we have to take a, a quick pause for our sponsor. We're going to come back talk about Jared Kushner, who's taken up the role as a life coach. It seems Marjorie Taylor Greene's very successful book signing. It's all to come here on Uncovered. You're saying a president could sell pardons. This show is sponsored by Better Help. Maybe you have a plan to start 2024 in a new direction. Maybe a little self-improvement. Well, I've been in therapy for over a decade, and it's something that I take very seriously, something I really enjoy, and something that I really have seen the results of. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suitable to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I really do think 2024 is the right time to start making positive changes that maybe we've been putting off for years. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash uncovered today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash uncovered. Big fan better help okay let's uh get straight back by the way it. one more thing while yes. we were on the air i just checked real quick yeah. chris christie is dropping out of the race oh and he is endorsing nikki haley i knew that would happen because they've been friends for 10 years I, apparently i called on him to do that a couple weeks ago right you know i think it's smart i think that you know as much as we dislike haley i mean she, you know her giving trump a run for his money is going to cause him to panic even more and spend yeah. more money and so I think that that's, you know, what these guys need to be doing is dropping out and endorsing Haley and getting behind her. And, and I hope some some more governors like Brian Kemp in Georgia endorses her. Yeah, but I keep I, I will still want to ring the alarm bell that she is dangerous. She is she is dangerous in a different way to Donald Trump's danger. Right. He, his is all about him. But unfortunately, his policies that have been that were enacted and have become part of the Republican vernacular are now which should never have been you know decided upon in that way you know the, the building the wall and the closure of the border and all this stuff it's like a, a mentally ill man made those policies some but of she them can't, she can't win that's why she's not dangerous well she can't win but what gets said in the meantime is often dangerous and, and oh yeah well and sure. that's what yeah. worries me yeah. it's like whilst we're all waiting for election day what damage is being done to the republic in the meantime yeah i agree i mean the reason why she can't win though is because 
even if somehow she, by some miracle she beats Trump, which I don't see happening. Yeah. What's going to happen? Though that 35% of of Trump's cult they, they just won't show up and vote and she's screwed. So, yeah. But but what Nikki Haley can do is force Trump to panic, spend money and get a little crazier. And that's why that's why I think this is a good thing. So, um Let's talk about Hunter Biden. He has uh, played a really interesting chess move today, hasn't he? Because there was yeah. all the criticism of him, you know, not showing up for a for a hearing with the Republicans, and he was like, "I'll show up if it's a if it's a public hearing, an open door hearing rather than a closed door hearing, because I don't want you guys to lie about what I said." And so today there was uh, a, a meeting, and he randomly shows up. There. Clearly, this was a surprise to everyone. You know, when this happened, you know, we at Midas were all like, did anybody know? Did anybody have any inkling? And my first thought was, I think that this was orchestrated by Eric Swalwell, um, Dan Goldman and Jared Moskowitz, you know, is my my personal opinion. I don't have any facts to back this up, but all I have is my observations, which was. This was very choreographed and it was very timed a certain way. And and it, and it coordinated with the comments that Goldman and Moskowitz were making, which made me think that they knew that this was going to go down. And it, the reason why it was so brilliant, it was such, such a smart move. And there's like a candid all, camera moment, wasn't it? They're always three steps ahead of Comer, always. Yeah. And, and, you know, he comes in, which automatically just throws everybody for a loop. You know, Comer doesn't know what to do. All the Republicans are freaking out. They don't know what to make of it. So he sits there. And then, you know, you have Moskowitz and, and Goldman saying, well, here he is. You know, let's uh, why don't we call him up here right now? You guys want to question him? He's he's right here. He'll come up. Yeah. Of course, you know, he knew they weren't going to do that. But that also undercuts their argument to have DOJ hold him in contempt of Congress because he's said before he would show up. He actually showed up at the contempt hearing right. and said he was willing to speak right then and there. And they, they rejected the offer. So, so from a legal standpoint, it also was brilliant. And then the final thing that was so smart is that right when it comes turn for Marjorie Taylor green to speak, he immediately gets up and walks out which. <laughs> Clearly was planned. Yeah. Every reporter in the room follows him out of the room. Right. So, so no reporters while Marge is up and, and I quick flipped quick quickly flipped channels and saw that every network had pulled away from the hearing and was covering his lawyer out in the hallway, giving like an impromptu press conference. So even Fox cut away. So so they didn't even show Marjorie Taylor Green at all. They just went from the Democrats speaking to Hunter and his lawyer in the hallway back to the committee and Marge is already done. So it was just great. It was it was theater. But, you know, it, it turned the hearing into the clown show that that it is. I'll show a clip of, uh, of Moskowitz kind of reacting to it happening. And it's very good to kind of try and lip read what uh, Hunter Biden is saying. Listen, I'll, I'll make this bipartisan. I'll vote for the Hunter contempt today. You can get my vote. You can get my vote, but I want you to show the American people that you're serious. Here is the subpoena to Representative Scott Perry, who did not comply. I'd like to enter this into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mark Meadows. I'd like to enter this into the record, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Jim Jordan, 
who did not comply with a lawful subpoena. I'd like to enter that into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mo Brooks, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mr. Biggs, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. And here's the subpoena to Mr. McCarthy, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. There's an amendment coming to add some of those names into the contempt order. You vote to add those names and show the American people that we apply the law equally, not just when it's Democrats, right? It's a crime when it's Democrats, but when it's Trump and the Republicans, it's just fine. No, show that you're serious and that everyone is not above the law. Vote for that amendment, and I'll vote for the Hunter Biden contempt. I yield back. Moskowitz is very clever, isn't he? Because he's actually one of the first to really start playing them. He has like an energy for it that I haven't really seen in in the in that hearing before where he because they're all very low energy. I mean even Coma himself is pretty low energy. And yet and yet Moskowitz is just like he's just got all of the all of the fun tokens. So at the last hearing Comer called him a smurf. Yeah. And Moskowitz walks into this hearing. You can't really see it there but he was wearing a Smurf tie. That's right. Had a picture like a of a Smurf, Smurf on the, the bottom, bottom of the tie. Yeah. To troll him. <laughs> then, you know, when Marjorie Taylor Greene whips out the naked pictures on poster board of Hunter Biden from the laptop to try and, you know, shame him after he's already gone. And her plan was probably to do that while he was there. Um, Moskowitz, while Marge is trying to do that, holds up a picture of jeffrey epstein and donald trump together so i mean you know he was the star of the show today you know he he stole the show and he did it in such a a brilliant way and hopefully it'll get a lot of coverage you know on local news and network news because remember local news i have talked about this before many of the swing voters who really decide elections in november are not on social media they're not on political twitter they don't watch msnbc they don't watch fox what they do is they watch local news and they watch some sports. So what you need is for moments like that to filter out and get on the local news. And and because that gets to those those voters that really make a difference. And hopefully it will, because it was pretty, pretty good theater. Unfortunately, with consolidation, a lot of the local news networks have now been bought up by you know, Republican leaning owners. And, and so, you know, in the same way that talk radio in the U.S. kind of brainwashed people over mm-hmm. decades, local yep. news has done the same. Do you remember that clip that went viral a few years ago of the talking points, the script that went around the local news channels? And they, sh- they, they split the screen yeah. and they showed all of the anchors saying exactly the same, same thing. things to criticize yeah. the Democrats. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, yep. Talking of which, uh, Donald Trump... I said I wouldn't care in talking about him, but there's there is one more clip of him still after all of this time pushing the conspiracy theory about the FBI and and Antifa and this whole thing with with January 6. I mean, it's almost like he's running out of places to go with this. So now he's having to kind of revert back to some of the previous evidence. Um, here's a here's a quick clip. And. Those people have to be many of them. I guess there's some. By the way, there was Antifa and there was FBI. There were a lot of other people there, too, leading the charge, leading the charge. You saw the same people that I did. But just. Yeah, I mean, it's just relentless. You posted a very interesting uh, letter from the olden days. I think it was 1984 um, about when Donald Trump owned a, a football club. Um, 
I'll put it up on the screen. Just explain what this is. Oh, uh, well, this is a, yeah, this is a letter that uh, John Bassett wrote. I'm going to have to kind of explain a little more background. Um, You know, Trump owned a team. The U.S. Football League was a league that was started to sort of not really compete with the NFL because the NFL plays football in the fall. This league played in the spring, and it was actually doing quite well. Uh, They had signed a lot of star players, a lot of excellent coaches. The ratings were decent. They were okay. They were making some money. And the league was going well, and then and then Donald Trump bought one of the teams, bought the New Jersey Generals, and one of the first things he did was uh, yeah, well he had Herschel Walker on his team, and so you know that was the connection to Herschel Walker. Right. Um, but uh, what he did was Trump never really wanted to own a USFL team. He thought it was you know second class. What he wanted was an NFL team. He wanted to buy either the Baltimore Colts or the Buffalo Bills. And so he came up with the scheme that he was going to leverage, try and leverage his ownership in the USFL to sort of blackmail the NFL into, into making them let him buy a team. And so what he what he cooked up was he persuaded the other owners of the league to move from the spring to the fall to go head-to-head in direct competition with the NFL, which was suicide. I mean, several of the other owners knew that this is crazy. We can't compete head-to-head against the NFL. We need to stay in the spring. Trump knew that too, but what what he wanted to do was make the NFL scared of the competition. He set up a lunch then with the commissioner of the NFL, Pete Rozelle at the time, and he sat down and he told him, he said, look, I can make all of this go away. I, you know, they, we won't move to the fall. I can blow up this league. I can wreck this league, but you need to let me buy a team. You let me buy one of your teams. I'll make this USFL problem go away for you. So he was double crossing his own business partners to benefit himself. And Pete Rosell, who is a very smart guy and a, and a very ethical guy, looked him dead in the eye and said, as long as I am breathing, you will never own a team in this league got up and walked out and they ended up having a big lawsuit because trump was also threatening to take him into court and trump told the other his fellow owners don't worry we're going to win big in this lawsuit this antitrust lawsuit and you're going to get all your money back that you lost uh, in this lawsuit and what what did they what did they win in the lawsuit they won they won three dollars that was the judgment um and so Trump actually completely bankrupted and wrecked the league for his own personal ambition and never got the NFL team either. It's it's just it's a and what that letter is is just basically a letter from the Tampa Bandits owner telling him, you know, down the end talking about his personality and and threatening he said, you know, he said if you ever talk to me or any of the owners the way you have in the past, I'll punch you in the mouth even though you're twice my size, you know, I'll knock you out. <laughs> and so you know, that was back in 1984. So it really gives you some insight into who Trump is. I, I saw an interview with uh, someone the other day who'd done business with Trump years ago, and they referred to him as a crook. And I was like, that's a word that we don't really use to describe Donald Trump. But I think we need to start. It, it certainly works better than dictator. So, you know, because to describe, certainly from reading that letter, but certainly to hear some of the stories of his history. He has always been a crook. And really, it was only The Apprentice that kind of glamorized him 
and in terms of putting him on on television as as somebody who was more legitimate, because obviously when you work in the televisual field, you have to smarten up and shape up, and you don't say so much. It's much more controlled and in a controlled environment. So you know, the the Apprentice has a lot to to really answer for because he is just simply a crook. That there's no trump presidency without the apprentice yeah i mean there i think everybody agrees with that because he was in deep financial trouble at the time too he was broke he was going under and the and and the apprentice bailed him out financially but also it created this myth around his brand that he was this successful billionaire when he was nothing of the sort right and and that seeped into the american consciousness and yes it, it did cause a lot of americans to believe the myth that Donald Trump is this great, savvy, successful businessman when he never was. He was a guy who inherited $400 million from his dad, bankrupted multiple companies and businesses and failed. And then The Apprentice bailed him out. I think he made over $200 million or so, plus a lot of other advertising stuff he was doing alongside of it and syndication, all that. And then he and then he parlayed that into the, in the presidency, and and that's how he makes his money now. So... Yeah, it, it's a myth that he's a successful businessman. Let's uh, talk for a moment about uh, Mike Johnson, the uh, Speaker of the House. Uh, you posted a video of Charlie Kirk, who was blasting him, basically. Now, I, I mistakenly thought that the the kind of Republican uh, supporters and surrogates, Charlie Kirk included, and certainly the religious uh, aspect, kind of evangelical side of the of that group would just love anything that Mike Johnson touched because you know he takes his cues from the bible but charlie kirk had something else to say about him let's take a look ridiculous nonsense that it's this double speak it's i'm better than you it's this elitist garbage oh we're doing a laddered cr and we're doing this add-on amendment process i guess cut the crap man okay I've been around for 11 years. I've met many politicians. I know a fraud when I see one. Cut it out. You couldn't broker a deal. You start shaking like a leaf when you get into a room with Chuck Schumer. Yes, sir. Whatever they want, they get. They're all praising this deal. And then you come out and you're like, well, maybe just just let me take a little victory in the press conference about adding amendments and laddered CRs. Enough. Okay. He's referring to the continuing resolution in terms of the, you know, the, the agreeing the agreeing the budget. Just ex- explain your position on this. I, I wrote an article today, which is up on the website, called Speaker Johnson is in Trouble. And I posted maybe eight or ten screenshots from Republican members of Congress who are going after him in the last 24 hours. And several uh, clips like that from the the echo and, and you know keep in mind we make fun of Charlie Kirk and stuff but inside the Republican base guys like Charlie Kirk are influential I mean he's got millions of followers he's got millions of people who watch that podcast Bannon also went after him and several others that I posted clips of so if you have the right wing ecosystem podcast universe turn on you and you have the Freedom Caucus turn on you you're in big trouble and see here here's the point. Well, to your to what you mentioned, which is this, they like the fact that okay, he's a holy roller, he's Christian. Okay, that's nice and everything, but that's like way down on their list of criteria that they're looking for 
from a political leader. What they want is they want an SOB. They want a tough guy. They want a fighter. They want a guy who's going to own the libs. You know, that's what they want. And they don't. So the fact that he's religious is nice. If that's like number six and he, and he checks all the other boxes first. Right. The problem is they don't see in Mike Johnson a fighter. He's because he's not. And, and when Chuck Schumer, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Chuck Schumer did this to intentionally sabotage Mike Johnson. But Chuck Schumer came out of the budget negotiations and lavished praise on Speaker Johnson, talked about what a nice guy he is and how polite and sweet and, and wonderful he is. And I'm reading this, what Schumer said, and I'm going, MAGA is going to be absolute apeshit because <laughs> that's the last thing. That is not what they want to hear, that Johnson was a sweet guy to Chuck Schumer. You know, they want to hear that he was in there yelling and screaming and cussing Chuck Schumer out, you know? So so I don't know if Schumer did that on purpose, but if he did, it was a, it was a smart move. But yeah, I mean, they this is not what they want in a speaker. You know, a, a nice, you know, I think Bannon says... We don't need Paul Ryan with a Bible. You know, <laughs> they want they want a tough guy, a fighter, and this guy ain't it. Not only that, you know, he's a terrible fundraiser, which I pointed out. You know, that's an, an incredible. Well, he doesn't even have a bank account, job. Ron. So I mean, how's he money. supposed to raise any money? He doesn't know political strategy because he's yeah. never been in a contested race before. So this was a bad choice. This was a bad choice for them for speaker. And it also kind of exposes how desperate they were, you know, aside from yeah. the fact that it, it took uh, Kevin McCarthy 15 votes to get elected as Speaker himself. And then, of course, we had a you know, few contenders. And and before you know it, they finally kind of pluck this guy from the back benches because they're like, well, you know, at least we could get him through. Yes. I mean, to, to say, you know, we often say that the Rep Republicans have no strategy. They have no policy. It is like just fighting fires and just owning the libs and shouting as loud as they can. But in terms of actual substance and, and a plan, there isn't one. At that point, they had been, you know, fighting with each other and had all this mess for what, 11 or 12 days. They couldn't elect a speaker. They had the Jim Jordan mess. They had the, uh, you know, Scalise went up, you know, yeah. McCarthy. And at that point, I think they just went around the room and, and they grabbed Mike Johnson because he was like the only guy in the room that everybody liked. You right. know, this is one guy who hasn't pissed anybody off. Yeah. Let's go with him. But then, you know, I think they kind of step back. You have that buyer's remorse 24 hours later and you're going, what did what the hell did we just do? We just basically just put a, a country pastor in charge of the house. But you know? he is an insurrectionist and it would be remiss of us not to mention that yeah. Mike Johnson had a role to play in the coup. And, yeah. and, and that is something that, you know, he is parroting Donald Trump's lies of, of, of you know, the election interference, the election being stolen. And, and he was right there at the center of all of that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he's not a good guy by any means, <laughs> but here's what he knows. He knows that if he goes along with the nut job, shuts down the government and all of that, that's going to make them happy and it's going to make Trump happy but it's going to cost them their majority. Right. So he's trying to play this balancing act where he's trying to get things done and he's trying to work with Democrats, hoping that's going to save them in November and keep the majority. But at the same time, that's really pissing off the right wing. So he might not hang on to the speakership long enough to enjoy that majority, even if they hang on to it. 
So it's just this this catch twenty two situation. McCarthy had to deal with it, and and now Johnson's dealing with it. Let's uh, talk about Jared Kushner, who has been keeping a bit of a low profile since he got a two billion dollar payout from the Saudis after leaving office as uh, Donald Trump's. Um, was he an advisor or a confidant or whatever his role is? Didn't have security clearance, worked in the White House. Senior um, advisor. Senior yeah. advisor, yes. What, yeah. a, what a great role. Uh, only to be ignored, I'm sure. But um, what was this? We're going to play a little clip of him. He he went on uh, a podcast, was interviewed, and, and claimed that he was tired of hearing people complain about not being successful because when he's been facing obstacles in his life, he, he doesn't give up and he always finds a way to overcome them. I mean, you posted that it, it was a total kind of lack of self-awareness with this guy. And, and really, that is a bit of a theme with him, isn't it? It's a theme with him and Ivanka. That's why they're just the perfect match. Yeah. Because... They have no conception of the way other people view them. And they have no sort of understanding of what other people's lives are like. And and, how how people live. How people live. They have no conception. And so when you said he's been laying low, what he's been doing is traveling the world with Ivanka. I mean, because I follow them on Instagram, so I see all their travel photos. and, And they're just constantly hopping from one exotic location to another sometimes with their kids sometimes not but always together they're jet setting all over the world perpetually i don't think they're ever home and uh and so you know then jared comes out with this you know ridiculous uh statement you know uh, uh, about you know hey you got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps quit whining about not being successful not being aware that like the way the average person is going to look at this is you were born to fabulous wealth. You married fabulous wealth, and you got two billion from the Saudis, you know, to to play with. Uh, so, I mean, just the, the lack of who who couldn't almost anybody could be successful under those circumstances, right. you know. And so, but he's just he has no self awareness about that, and so. You know, when you post something like this, you just know people are going to go crazy because the average person listens to him and says, you know, you're a jerk. They're just terrible people, Ron. I mean, that really is what this boils down to. Just completely elitist, terrible people. Here he is. I just think it's something where if you want to accomplish something, you know, a lot of people I hear, they complain about what other people do or why it's hard or why it's impossible. And again, I say this as somebody who's been so blessed with 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 so many things in life, but you know, when I've had challenges or things I've wanted to achieve, I just focus and say, what, what can I do? And I'll, I'll read everything I, I can get my hands on. I'll, I'll, if I fail at one, the door closes, I'll try the window. If the window closes, I'll try the chimney. If the chimney closes, I'll try to dig a tunnel. It's just, if you want to accomplish something, you just have to go at it. I mean, he can't talk either. He just cannot speak. He can't make a coherent sentence. And and he was the guy who was a senior advisor to Trump presidency in the White House. I mean, talk about the blind leading the blind. You know who he reminds me of? If you ever saw that movie uh, Trading Places yeah, with uh, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, he reminds me of that Winthorpe character that Dan Aykroyd played, right? at least for the first half of the movie, where he's just like this very stuffy, snooty guy, you know, and he's looking down on the Eddie Murphy homeless character, you know, and, and then he gets pulled out of that and has to go into that environment and live like a poor person. 
and you know he can't handle it until Jamie Lee Curtis bails him out you know but you know that really reminds me so much of Jared Kushner people sometimes get mad because they love the Dan Aykroyd character in that movie but Dan Aykroyd only became a good guy at the very end of the movie yeah. <laughs> he was Jared Kushner the first half of the movie and you know just a terrible person and and everybody in in Trump's orbit is cut from the same cloth you know there there are either these kind of christian nationalists or you know far right people who in any other circumstance wouldn't be allowed anywhere near the seat of power yes and and but because trump didn't trust anybody couldn't get good people to work for him he ended up with literally a team of the of the worst creatures to roam the planet and and it's very typical in kind of mafia organizations where the, you know the family comes first and so you give family the top jobs because only family can be trusted they're not going to stab you in the back until they do and then you shoot them <laughs> i mean it is a mafia family you know no matter how you want to dress it up they are the mob there's there's so many to your point dysfunctional people who have titles on their resumes now. You know, people like Cash Patel or John Radcliffe or Rick Grinnell, who ne who never, under no other president, would they have ever gotten the appointments that they got. And a lot of them were interim and all of that. But they have these things on their resume, you know, and they brag about them all the time. You know, former acting director of national intelligence, you know, Rick Grinnell or whatever, you know, they bring former ambassador... And it's just like you look at these people and you're like, they have no business having that title in on their resume. And the only reason why they do is because Donald Trump became president, because no other Republic, even Republican president would have appointed any of those people to those positions. And, and let's be clear, the plan for a next Trump presidency is to not just restore those people to those roles or even greater roles, but yes. is to is to take fifty thousand civil servants to and and to get rid of anybody who does not share the same political ideology as Donald Trump. And so people as bad as that. Go on, Stephen Miller. Who right. who's going to hire Stephen Miller? Yeah, in the real world, <laughs> no one will hire Stephen Miller now. You know, I mean, like a guy like that. Again, you know. He's got all this stuff on his resume now only because of Donald Trump. But that's also why they're so loyal to him, because they know that no one else is going to give them those kind of yeah. positions. Well, they're, because they're, they're rinsing him. I mean, everyone is nickel and diming everybody. You know, that there is there is money to be made. Make hay while the sun shines and other cliches. If there is an opportunity for, for a significant income stream, whether it be two billion dollars from the Saudis or or a, or a you know, federal federal salary then they're going to they're going to do it. It's it's terrifying. In fact, on the weekend show this coming Sunday, I'm going to be really going through the Project 2025 document and and really like picking out these salient points where they talk yeah, yeah. about installing loyalists in these key positions if Donald Trump or another Republican president was to win in November because you know, the US will look completely different and feel completely different and your your access to services and everything will will completely change un, under a a future far right christian nationalist heritage foundation created america everything the post office yeah. social security yeah uh you know across the board irs 
everything that you consider like these routine things will all change. You're, you're, and they'll be very highly politicized and leveraged and full with people that have ambition and that expect something in return mm-hmm. for what they do for you while they work for the government. Yeah, they, they, they will expect loyalty. Uh, okay, finally, because we have to finish, Marjorie Taylor Greene posted on her, was it Truth Social or Twitter? Is she still allowed on Twitter? I think she got... Yes. Re, she got re, reposted. Um, she posted, Great book signing at the Iron Horse Saloon in Daytona Beach. So thankful to Bikers Against Trafficking for setting it up. It doesn't look very busy there, Ron. What's happening here? Yeah, she didn't like this post. She responded to it. Um, you know, I her her book tour, she had did a book tour in Florida this past weekend. It was a disaster. Uh, she had a number of venues planned. Um, the usual activists on the left, I don't do this, but you know, the cancel, the cancel activists, they're very ruthless on the left. And they um, you know, contacted some of these different venues that were supposed to host her. One was a VFW and another one I think was a hotel. And, you know, they canceled on her. So she couldn't find a place to to do her book signing. So she ends up doing it at this, you know, biker rally thing. And, you know, she posted several pictures. And I know how she is. If she had a crowd there, if she had people lined up to buy books, she's going to post pictures of the people lined up to buy books. Right. You know, that's what she does. That's what they all do. But she kept posting these photos with like either nobody in the picture or like one dude like that in the picture. And so I started becoming very suspicious that this is not like green. So to trigger her, I just sort of started posting like no one's showing up. You know, I don't know if anybody showed up, but it's suspicious. And so, you know, she responded. She because, you know, her boyfriend does talk to me and he does correspond with me from time to time. And so obviously if I post something, she knows about it. So he was with her. So so obviously what happened was, you know, she rounded up some of these biker guys and took a a photo with like a dozen of them and responded to my tweet by posting that photo and said, see, Ron, look at all these look at all these guys here. But none of them were holding books. (laughs) So, you know, I don't think that they were people there to buy her book. I think she just grabbed a bunch of guys out of a biker bar and took a photo with them. Well, there was quite a stack of books in that photograph that she posted, so uh, clearly they didn't belong to anybody. Hopefully they're sale or return. <laughs> um, listen, we have to finish, but it's uh, it's a pleasure. I'm so thrilled that we got to spend a, another hour or so together. If you want to hear the show as opposed to watch it, because I know, you know, visually we're probably best suited for the audio podcast, Ron. People should download the audio podcast tonight. It'll drop wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll come back on Wednesday next week and uh, uncover some more of the far-right propaganda that is not covered by the mainstream media. Have a great week.